You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. to the podium this week instead of going out through and coming in I am allowed or I am not allowed I am allowed okay per usual it's so good to see you guys today yeah I say this every week or a lot of weeks Mostly everybody in here spends time with the Lord during the week, reading the, reading the, the Bible and, and praying, and, and that's very special, but there's something extremely special about meeting together with the Lord, with other people of like precious faith, the Bible says, with brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God, there's just something special about that. You know, the, the Acts Church, it was so special that they met every day of the week. They met in the temple in a large body like this, and then they met house to house the rest of the week. They couldn't get enough of each other and each other meeting with the Lord together. We may move to that someday, this revival that's coming. So we're still in Acts. We're up to chapter 17. Today's verses 1 through 15. The title is Moving On. It's a new chapter. We're going to see some new cities. There'll be some new experiences. Over the next two weeks, we'll visit Thessalonica, which is still a vibrant city in Greece today, only it's spelt different. It's Thessalonica with two K's at the end, K-I. We'll see, we'll, we'll visit Berea and we'll visit Athens. So Stacy, without any further ado, if you'll come, the rest of us will stand. Stacy's going to read the text for today. Good and loud into the mic, Stace. Paul and those traveling with him passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came through Thessalonica. A Jewish synagogue was there. Paul went into the synagogue as he usually did. For For three Sabbath days in a row, he talked with the Jews about the scriptures. He explained and proved that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am telling you about is the Messiah, he said. His words won over some of the Jews. They joined Paul and Silas. A large number of Greeks who worshipped God joined them too. So did quite a few important women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some evil people from the marketplace. Forming a crowd, they started all kinds of trouble in the city. The Jews rushed, rushed to Jason's house. They were looking for Paul and Silas. They went, wanted to bring them out to the crowd, but they couldn't find them. So they dragged Jason and some other believers to the city officials. These men have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. Now they have come here. Jason has welcomed, welcomed them into his house. They are all disobeying Caesar's commands. They say there is another king. He is called Jesus. When the, crown, the crowd and the city officials heard this, They became very upset. They made Jason and the others give them money. The officials did this to make sure they would return to the court. 
Then they let Judge Jason and the others go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. The Berean Jews were very glad to receive Paul's message. They studied the scriptures carefully every day. They wanted to see if what Paul said was true. So they were more noble than the Thessalonian Jews. Because of this, many of the Berean Jews believed. A number of important Greek women also became believers, and so did many Greek men. But the Jews in Thessalonica found out that Paul was preaching God's word in Berea. So some of them went there too. They stirred up the crowds and got them all worked up. Right away, the believers sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. The believers who went with Paul took him to Athens. Then they returned with orders that Silas and Timothy were supposed to join him as soon as they could. Thanks, Stace. Great job. Maybe seated. So we're moving on. As we said, a new chapter, new cities, new experiences, also a new map. Each new chapter brings a new map. What, what, what's the face for? Can you see that? Oh, I can't please you guys. Well, if you see the top of the red line, that's Philippi. That's where we've been studying. They left Philippi. They went to Thessalonica. Then they went to Berea. And then finally they had to get out of there. And that Paul at least went down the coast. And the bottom of the red line is right at Athens. That's the history, that's the geography, rather, of, of where we're at currently. Brief review. Paul and Silas finished up in Philippi. Not a bad season of work there. Lydia and her household got saved. Former fortune teller psychic got delivered. Supernatural intervention of God on their behalf, shaking the prison open, the doors open, the chains off. The jailer and his household got saved. All this happened in Philippi. And these folks formed the core group that became the New Testament church. Paul later addresses in his letter as the Philippians. Plus Luke and Timothy, they stayed on in Philippi and now, for now, and they were there to disciple these new believers. So that's the church that is formed in Philippi off of their work. Next time you read the letter to the Philippians, you may find it more meaningful because now you know some of the history and who made up that church, how that church formed. Today's outline, there are two sections. We're going to give the details of the passage. Then we're going to give some relevant application. Something that God wants us to know today. You're here because God wants you to know something. You have free will. You don't have to listen. You don't have to receive it. And you don't have to apply it. But you're here because God brought you here because he wants you to hear it. He wants you to receive it, and he wants you to apply it. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. Paul and Silas then traveled to the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. Just a brief note on, on the, that word Sabbath. You know, for the Jews, the Sabbath was Saturday. I think it still is for very serious Jews. And I was playing golf on Friday with a guy who's Jewish. 
That intrigued me. And I said, can you trace your heritage back? And he said, yes, we've done all the ancestry and the lineage back. And he said, we are direct descendants of Jacob's son, Levi. That is so cool. I said, so you were priests. Your family were priests. And he said, no, no. He said, uh, we were assistants to the priests. The Levites were the assistants to the priests. That was an awesome experience. And then he started telling me, because, you know, I was of a certain religious denomination, and when I accepted Christ, my dad said, get out and stay out. Same thing happened to him, being Jewish. They said, get out, and they didn't want anything to do with him. So much so that when, when he got married on a Saturday, they wouldn't come to the wedding because it was a Sabbath. But he kind of laughed, and he said, they weren't even that strict religious Jews. They were just making a statement. But for three Sabbaths in a row, three Saturdays then, Paul went into the synagogue service. They left Philippi. They arrived in Thessalonica. Paul's custom, their custom on these missionary journeys, they got back to their original practice. Since there was a synagogue in this city, there wasn't in Philippi. That's why they went down to the place of prayer by the river. They began their ministry in the synagogue. Three Sabbaths in a row, Paul used the scriptures to reason with the people. Interesting word, that word reason. It actually means trying to help people understand something they don't understand. But it also carries a sense of trying to help people who don't really want to understand to understand. It carries a further sense of trying to help people who are being stubbornly resistant to understand something that they don't understand. Paul was reasoning with them. No easy task. There doesn't seem to be much easy about this work, does there? That's one of the things God wants to talk to us about today. He explained the prophecies and he proved or convinced that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. And he said, this Jesus I'm telling you about, he is the Messiah. We'll take that last line first. This Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. What Paul was reasoning with them about is Jesus and trying to convince them that he's the Messiah, he's their Savior, he's the only way. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was trying to convince these Jews who were still following the law of Moses and Gentiles who had become God-fearers and were following the law of Moses that this Jesus that you've been hearing about over in Jerusalem is the Messiah. He is the Savior. The religious Jews, they were not really too keen on this message. Jesus is the Messiah. One reason is a very practical reason. If Jesus is the Messiah, they're in big trouble. They had him killed. The long-awaited one, the one that's been promised for centuries through their scriptures, if this Jesus really is Messiah, uh, we killed him. We killed our Messiah. So, of course, they're resisting this. There has to be something. There has to be another way, right? But thank God he's so forgiving. We all had a part in crucifying Jesus because it was our sin that put him up on that cross. Paul explained the prophecies and he proved to them from Scripture that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. And he said, this Jesus I'm telling you about, he is the Messiah. 
Paul was using their own Old Testament scriptures to convince them that this Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Calvary, Jesus of the cross, he is the Messiah. He is the one you've been waiting for. He's the promised one from God. I'm telling you, the Messiah has come, and Jesus Christ is the Messiah. For us, it would be the Savior has come, and Jesus Christ is the Savior. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. The result of Paul's reasoning, initial success. As always, some Jews, many Gentiles believe the message and they receive Jesus as their Lord. If you're here today and you have not, or you're uncertain if you have, received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the thing to do. See me before you leave, please. Your eternal life depends on it. But those who did believe and receive, they joined the movement. And again, as in most cities that these guys have gone to, this began to form the core group of a New Testament church. It's the church in Thessalonica, and it's the letter to the Thessalonians. There's two letters Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in our New Testament. Now when you read those letters, you will know the origin of that church, similar to Philippi. These studies in Acts, as we go through actually, may make our reading of the letters, the epistles, excuse me, the letters in the New Testament, much more meaningful as we have more historical and geographical information. Moving on, so as was typical in other cities, they had good initial success and response to the gospel. But, the infamous but, B-U-T, the infamous but, but some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. Hmm. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them, they dragged out Jason and some, some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. The Jews were jealous. They gathered some troublemakers. That's what evil does. They formed a mob and they started a riot. That's what evil does. Notice evil seems to love my mob violence and rioting. Just look around our nation today. And if the ruling authorities happen to be of the same mindset as the rioters and those causing violence, then nothing, nothing's done. Law enforcement seems to have forgotten how to enforce the law all of a sudden. Nothing new under the sun, is there? They attacked the home of Jason and other believers. Poor Jason, guilt by association. They're looking for Paul and Silas. They didn't find him, so they'll beat Jason up. They turned Jason and the other believers over to the authorities. But actually, fortunately, and praise the Lord, I don't have it on the screen but you know, in Philippi, they got beaten pretty badly and they were thrown into the prison, into the inner, dun inner dungeon and had their feet in, in the clamp, or stocks, clamped in the stocks. But here, Jason and the other believers only had to pay a fine and they were released. 
They were not beaten or thrown into prison. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. They probably knew what happened in Philippi, and they were going to get him out of Thessalonica. And when they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. That, I'm going to try and tie that in at the end in the application, but just think about that. All that they've been through, they get off pretty good this time. They're sent from Thessalonica to Berea. Don't you think they'd be looking for some R&R? When they arrived in Berea, they went to the Jewish synagogue. These guys are gluttons for punishment. No, they weren't. They were fully committed to Christ. The people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. In Berea, they went to the synagogue. They started over again with the folks in the synagogue. They began to reason with the folks in the synagogue. That was their customary place to start. In this synagogue, many folks listened eagerly to Paul. Then they went out and searched the scripture to make sure he was telling them the truth. The result? Initial success. Many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. Revival was breaking out in Berea. But, but when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that revival was breaking out, evil doesn't like revival. Evil doesn't like it when God is moving and people are applying God's ways to their lives. When they learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there, and they stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once this time, sending Paul on to the coast, while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy, hurry and join him. Initial success. Seems like huge success. But some Jews in Thessalonica, the troublemakers... They heard what was going on, and they quickly ran over to Berea to stir up trouble. Before trouble could get stirred up, as it has in the other cities, these believers quickly sent Paul off out of their city for his sake. This time, the new believers did not wait around for it to get too ugly, and they sent Paul to Athens. Athens is about 312 miles south of where Paul is right now. They took him to the coast. Some went with him, actually, all the way to Athens. And we're not sure if he traveled by ship or by land, but he went down the coast, and Paul is now in Athens. Today, from Thessalonica, which is still a city, I said, to Athens is about a five-hour drive by car. So Paul is in Athens. The same old, same old always seems to repeat the pattern. Initial success and then opposition. We've seen it all through his missionary journey, most recently in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and next up will be Athens. But that waits for next week. I want to move into what I hope is a very relevant application. I want to move into, that was like history, geography, facts. I want to move into what God really wants to say to the church today, to this church today. 
An application relates to not so much what we have heard, but what we do with what we've heard. Got that? Application isn't so much what you've just heard. It's what you do with what you've just heard. Those guys, in desperate need of R&R, relentlessly went to the next city, started again, telling people about Jesus. So what does God want us to know? What does God want us to do with what we know? And the application is very simple, but it's not necessarily going to be easy. Something to notice in today's passage, there was a notable character trait of Paul and his companions. They were resolute on mission with Christ. Not a word we use much today anymore because we are not really that anymore. They were resolute on mission with Christ. Remember last week we said the jailer and the prisoners, the prisoners didn't even escape. Then when the jailer came down, he was going to kill himself. He didn't. They saw something that was different. They saw something that was attractive about Paul and, his, and Silas who were, who were imprisoned. And in a sense, whether they said this or not, they wanted some of that. When you see something attractive in somebody, number one, you want to be around them, not just physical attraction. There's, there's something way more attractive than physical attraction, and that's confidence. I want to be around confident people. I don't want to be around Eeyores. I'd rather walk with Tigger. Well, that's why I want to be around Tigger, because I am an Eeyore, my wife. You can't sit up here in the front anymore. I hear your comments. You people around here, listen to me, not her. Confidence is attractive. Woe is me, negative, grumbling, complaining. Who wants to be around that? Just brings you right down where they are. So they saw what was in something in Paul and Silas last week in Philippi, and they said, at least in their hearts, I believe, I want some of that. Well, I see something in Paul and Silas and those guys with him, and I want some of that. It's resoluteness. It's something I see in them, and I see in many of the early church disciples. They were resolute. Actually, I want a whole lot of that in my life. Let's define resolute. Hey, a very interesting word. It's a complex word with two separate components. The Greek word is with two separate components, which literally defined would mean face and toward. Can you put that together? The Greek word that's translated resolute means face and it means toward. And the thought is this. To purposefully, determinedly, unwaveringly set your face towards something and not be moved. Towards a mission that you're on, towards a goal that you're pursuing, towards a task that you want to complete. Resolute is to set your face towards that and not be moved off of it. It's an, it's a intent, it's an intense Focus and gaze in one direction. It means purposefully, determinedly, unwaveringly, 
unwaveringly pursue an end. And we see that in Paul and his companions. Listen, they get beat up in city after city. Yet move on to the next location and start again. That's resolutely committed to a mission. They arrive in a new location, and where do they go? The synagogue, where they've gotten beaten up in city after city. And they go into synagogue, and they say, we've got something to say, and we cannot remain silent. That's what the love of Jesus in us will compel you to do. You've got to reach lost people. They were purposeful. They were determined. They were unwavering. They would not be deterred. They would not be moved off course. They would not be stopped. They were resolute. They were resolute on mission with Christ, telling others about Jesus. That reminds us of Jesus, right? Jesus is the consummate example or picture of resolute. Luke 9, 51 As the time drew near for him, Jesus, to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He knew what awaited him there. Not only would he suffer the humiliation and the physical pain of crucifixion, and if you've seen the passion, that might give you at least a little bit of an idea what he suffered physically, and that was bad enough, but something much, much worse for Jesus, unbearable, made him sweat blood in Gethsemane as he thought about it, would be the spiritual pain of being separated from his father as he took upon himself the sins of the world, your sins and my sins. He knew he was facing that. He knew that was coming. The physical pain, yes, but the moment was coming when he would be separated from his father. That's a sermon in itself. But not for today. To our point today. Knowing what was coming, he resolutely set his face for Jerusalem. He resolutely set out, I'm sorry, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Purposefully, determinedly, unwaveringly, undeterred by the opposition that he knew awaited him. Undeterred by opposition. I think it would be beneficial for us to close with a look of a number of translations of Luke 9.51 that makes this word we're talking about, this resolute, resoluteness, it would make it perhaps more clear. We'll get a good feel for the word and what God wants to communicate to us through this word. So we're going to stay with Luke 9.51, but we'll look at it in a few different translations of the Bible. And just by the way, you know, sometimes you hear a lot of criticism. Why are there so many translations? Which one's right? And all of that. Um, To me, having a number of translations is a good thing. It can be very useful. It can make passages abundantly clear. That's why most of the time you'll see NIV behind my verses. But you'll also see NIV, sometimes King James Version, sometimes the message. Can make a passage passage abundantly clear to us. So some translations of this passage. It came to pass when the days were well nigh come that he should be received up, Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Steadfastly set his face is a good translation of that Greek word. Purposeful, determined, unwavering, focused, intentional, 
Plus, it captures that Greek concept of face and toward. Facing toward, not being moved, not looking away, not being deceived, distracted. Well, we're so easily distracted. He steadfastly set his face to go to or toward Jerusalem, and he would not be deterred. Now, this is the amplified version. Now, when the time was approaching for him to be taken up to heaven, he was determined to go to Jerusalem to fulfill his purpose. He was determined to fulfill his purpose. Steadfast, purposeful, unwavering, the whole works there. He would not be moved off course. He would fulfill his purpose come hell or high water. He was resolute. That character trait has been lost to our generation and generations after us. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face. I just want to get that in there, that face and toward. He set his face to go or to toward Jerusalem. And again, it's that same concept, signifying he would not be distracted, he would not be derailed. There was attacks that came against him from Satan, obviously, and there were attacks that came against him from even within the camp. Peter, no, you can't do that. Lord, forbid it. God forbid. We will never allow you to do that. Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, was trying to talk him out of it. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Nothing would deter him because he was resolute at accomplishing this mission, fulfilling this purpose. That is an admirable trait in people in general. It's an extremely admirable trait in Christians on mission for Christ. Christians on mission with Christ. We're so easily moved away. We're so easily enticed away, allured away by the things of this life. Even though we say it week after week, Jesus forbid us, stop loving the world and the things of the world. It's keeping you from fully serving me. If you truly know him, I'm not standing up here saying you're going to lose your salvation. But I'm saying you're going to miss out on so much if you're caught up in the world and the things of the world rather than on mission with Christ. Especially in these days ahead. This Roe versus Wade victory for pro-life, to me, is so much more than that. The issue is extremely important. I get that. But what is so much more important to me was we have seen God move. His strong right hand has done this. And so <laughs> applaud the Lord. And so if he has done that, which he's been promising and which has been prophesied, and many would not believe it, if he has done that, what's to stop him from doing all the other things that he said he's going to do, he's promised to do, and has been prophesied that he's going to do? I'm ready to go. This was the go sign we've been waiting for. Last version, the message... When it came close to the time for his ascension, he gathered up his courage. He steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. And I included this because I think that's an interesting translation of, of this passage. Um, 
Steeled is a word that we use today. You've got to steel yourself against those things that would move you away or your emotions. And I think it conveys the meaning well to contemporary readers to gather up courage and to steel yourself against whatever opposition is coming against you. So you get the gist, right, from Luke 9:51. Jesus was resolute. He was purposed. He was unwavering. He was steadfast. He was determined. He set his face toward. He gathered his courage. He steeled himself. He would not be moved off course. He couldn't be bribed, and he couldn't be bullied. Why was Jesus so resolute? Because he was on mission with the Father. He was on a mission from his Father. He was on a mission with his Father. He would not be moved off what his Father called him to do in any way, by anyone, or by anything. What an example. Then we see the same thing in Paul and his companions. They were on mission with Christ. Christ was on mission with his father. They were on mission with Christ, and they were resolute, purposed, unwavering, determined, opposition after opposition, severe opposition in city after city. Yet they simply moved on to the next place and started again, looking for the synagogue. The synagogue is where they would find their first converts in that city. But the synagogue is where they would find their fiercest opposition. And yet they went there resolutely, city after city, never deterred, deterred, never giving up, never quitting. Back they went. So the, the major question, what is God saying to us today in the church? This is a reminder again from God that we are on mission with Jesus. That's why you're alive. I wish I had a dollar for every time I've said that to us. That's why we're alive. We're on mission with Jesus. I could cry because I could say, if you look around the church, you would never come up to that conclusion that that's why Christians exist. Because they're on mission with Jesus to tell others about him. Amen? We're about a lot of things, but that's not on the short list. When it should be on the top of the list, it should be first on the list. We are on mission with Christ as Christ was on mission with his Father. And we are to be resolute, as resolute, as purposeful, as determined, as unwavering about our mission as Jesus was. God is looking to develop resoluteness. And that is a word. I questioned it at first, but I looked it up. It's a noun. God is looking to develop resoluteness in his people, in the church, in believers, in you, in me, in us, in any who are willing. Continuing this relevant application, why is resoluteness even necessary? Why why do we even have to have resoluteness? Couldn't God just, man, make it easy? Couldn't God just, like, make this worthwhile, getting saved, and just bless us, bless us, bless us? It's not the way it works due to some realities that we won't go into today, but it has to do with Satan and his kingdom. 
Resoluteness is extremely necessary for effective kingdom work. I would venture to say without resoluteness, we will not be effective in kingdom work, and I'll try to explain why. You know, you can get beat up in kingdom work. Let me say that again. You can get beat up in kingdom work. You know, you can get beat up when you boldly and unashamedly share the gospel. When you boldly and unashamedly take a stand for God, like a pro-life stand in a pro-choice culture and society. You can beat up when you take you can get beat up when you take a stand for God, his word, his ways, his values. You can get beat up when you challenge the powers of this world with the power of the name of Jesus. Opposition often arises. And yet believers must be resolute because the alternative to being resolute is to bail. And if we bail, when the going gets tough, if we become Eeyore, then there's no advance for the kingdom. This is going to be so important in these days ahead because you're hearing everybody say, including me, we have won a great victory and we are rejoicing in that victory and we are praising our mighty God. But the war is by far not over. If we bail when the going gets tough, there's no advance for the kingdom. Satan carries the day. Why do you think there's so much about intimidation? Why do they stir up mob violence and riot and burn places and threaten? Because Christians usually bow to intimidation. Although not, not anymore. No, no, uh-uh. See, there's a rising remnant that God has strengthened in the church. They're not bowing. And that's what's happening. And you see the result of that last Friday when the Supreme Court overturned a 50-year curse on our nation. Because there's a rising remnant that will no longer bow or bail, B-A-I-L, a rising remnant who is resolute on mission with Christ. Let's get this thing done. I love when, when Art says, let's wrap this thing up so we can get out of here. Listen, it may get tough in the days ahead for kingdom workers. We cannot bail. We've got to press on. Now, of course, if you're a nominal professing, a nominal professing believer, then no worries. Resoluteness is not really needed. But if you're a serious kingdom worker in these days ahead, resoluteness will be definitely needed. 100 lost souls are depending on it. And opposition is going to arise to it. We're praying the opposition will be just as light as it can be, but opposition will arise to it. And we need to be prepared. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And I haven't done this for a while, but opposition, I'm not too crazy about. So I'm not up here with a martyr complex. Hey, let's go out there and do this and get beat up and become martyrs. No, I'm just concerned that that's the way it is. I mean, we've been in Acts for 17 chapters, and that's all we see. Initial success, but opposition. Initial success, but opposition. 
Initial success, but severe opposition. Oh, James was actually killed. One of our military branches has, or at least used to have a motto, looking for a few good men. Was that the Marines? Yeah, the Army was be all you can be, and the Marines were looking for a few good men. Put your spiritual ears on. God is searching his church right now. His eyes are spotlighting the church, our church right now, because this is where we're at. But church is all over our nation. God is searching his church, looking for believers who are willing to be resolutely on mission with him in these days ahead. You feel his intense gaze sweeping over you, sweeping over this congregation. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at my heart. And he's asking, will you be resolute on mission with me in these days ahead, even though it may get very tough? The harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. God is looking for a few resolute workers. Is that you? Pauline, if you'll come. Sonny, if you'll gather the band. The rest of us will stand. Just wait till we're all settled down and then lead us in prayer. Thank you. Lord, what a great word we heard today, this morning, Father, just, and it plays into the 50 years of perseverance of prayers that were answered, that people didn't give up, Father, for 50 years, that they still looked for God um, for answered prayer, and we're not to give up. Um, We're going to be hit again, so um, just, I ask, Father, that every ear that heard this message this morning, Father, would just hear God speaking to them and feel that he is calling, as Hub said, resoluteness people. And I pray that each one of us become that in fighting um, for, for Jesus, Father, and, and on that mission with Jesus. So, Lord, we just um, take this time now, Father, just to reflect again on some worship and just ask that you would just be with us throughout the week and just um, continue to push forward and see these answered prayers we're beginning to believe now and see answered prayer as we've been hoping for and praying for so yes lord we just thank you for this message again today and let us uh end with some worship before we leave in jesus name we pray Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.